What a beautiful reminder as we come to our time and God's Word from 1 Peter. Psalms 19 verse 11 tells us that it is by God's Word that His servants are warned and enlightened. And so if you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have one provided there in the pew in front of you. 1 Peter chapter 3. All I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. This is exactly where we're at in 1 Peter. We've been examining Christianity 101 ever since we began this letter in 1 Peter. And Christianity is not something that we do. It is something that God does for us and in us for His glory. If you remember, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 begins with the miracle of the new birth, where we who are dead in our trespasses and sins are made alive together in Christ Jesus as by God's grace we behold the glory of His Son Jesus Christ. We understand His perfect work on the cross for the salvation of our souls. We believe in Him and we, we receive the eternal life of God. And so, even as we're studying this section of 1 Peter where we're going to look at some commands this morning, really what it is, is this is how you demonstrate the life of Christ that is in you. This is not, Christianity is not you pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps in order to live a more, a little more life. Christianity 101 is Christ coming to dwell in you and transforming you from the inside out to the point where this is what your life begins to look like by His grace and power. And so I'm excited to be jumping right back into our study of Christianity 101 and to turn our attentions once again to this most pressing topic that we're examining right now, which is the topic of everyday evangelism. Everyday evangelism. And ladies and gentlemen, we really cannot separate the two. We cannot separate receiving Christ from evangelism because to receive Christ is to receive a compulsion, an inward longing to know Christ and to make Him known. Why, when Paul was asked why he gave so much energy and attention to telling others around him about Jesus, he replied this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15. He says, the love of Christ compels us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In other words, as someone who has been made spiritually alive and come to know the love and salvation of Jesus, how can I do anything less with my life than to share that same love and salvation with others? It's like the song my dad used to sing quite regularly growing up. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread His love to everyone. You want to pass it on. Isn't that true? The most powerful and pure motivation in the Christian life is not guilt, but gratitude. As Colossians 3.17 teaches us, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything how? In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In other words, beyond all duty and beyond all obligation to God, the true Christian says this, 
I'm doing this and I'm living this way and I want to do it because I'm just so thankful for what God has done for me in Christ Jesus. I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good and I want everyone else to know of His goodness as well because I'm just so incredibly grateful. You cannot separate evangelism from essential Christianity 101. To have one is to be compelled to do the other. It's part and parcel of the Christian life. And that's why Peter spends so much time exploring this topic of everyday evangelism right in the middle of his letter. It's because someone who has been born again wants to proclaim the goodness of the Lord that they've seen. And they want to picture it for others. And that's what Peter's been focusing on right now. How do we, you and I, who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how do we shine out that goodness of the Lord in our relationships with others? Well, in verse 17, Peter, Peter uh, conveniently outlines for us four major ways that we can do this. Four major ways that we can do this when he writes, Be subject, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, and fear God. Those are four fundamental ways that we can reflect the saving goodness of the Lord in our everyday relationships and underline the gospel that we're sharing rather than undermine it. We should be subject, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, and fear God. And we looked at the first two of those already. Uh, first in chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, we saw what it looks like to show proper subjection to our earthly authorities. And we discovered that when we do so out of reverence for God, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In other words, we tear down obstacles and objections to the gospel. We do this by being subject. We can be subject to our earthly authorities because we understand even those authorities are subject to the authority of Christ above all. So we show the world the goodness of the Lord and the presence of His new life within us by being subject. Then in, verses two, or in chapter 2, verse 17, on into chapter 3, verse 7, we saw what it means to show proper honor to everyone. That's another way that we show the life of Christ within us. We respect everyone. Whether it be our ruling sovereigns, our workplace supervisors, or our marital spouses. And what we discovered in that section, into chapter 2, into chapter 3, is that when we honor everyone, we radiate grace, we reflect Jesus, and we are used by God to reach sinners. We do this by honoring everyone. Well, today, we move on to a new section of how to adorn and underline our gospel testimony with our lives, and that is by loving the brotherhood. Loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, 1 Peter is this entire letter that's telling us how to live as elect exiles, right? As those who have been chosen by God for salvation and yet are increasingly experiencing rejection from this world here on earth. We are pilgrims. We are exiles on our way to glory. And what Peter's reminding us of here in this next section is that we don't walk this journey alone. We are not alone in our journey towards glory. We have brothers and sisters who walk this journey with us. And shame upon Christians, we often treat our brothers and sisters in Christ as enemies. When they are not enemies, they are fellow members of this pilgrim band. And we are here together to help each other make it and to endure and persevere until glory. To hold fast to Christ, we do this together as a band of pilgrims. And so, showing brotherly love, Peter's going to show us, is vital to our gospel witness. It's vital to our gospel witness. Jesus himself said in 
John 13, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Why? Verse 15. Because by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So this is how the world will know that we belong to Jesus that we are in Him and that He is in us, it's when they see Christ's own love for His people flowing out of us. And they're watching. I want you to know that. Peter says over and over again in chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 15, chapter 3, verse 2, and chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, that those in the world around us who do not know Christ are carefully watching us. They are carefully watching our conduct. They are seeing if we exhibit these good works that accompany salvation. They are watching us to see whether we indeed have love for one another. And so knowing how important loving the brotherhood is to everyday evangelism, Peter unfolds for us here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, what exactly that looks like to love one another just as Christ has loved us. In verse 8, Peter shows us the attitude of loving one another. What the disposition of our mind and heart ought to be towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to be bent towards having an attitude towards brothers and sisters in Christ. Then in verse 9, Peter gives us the answer of loving one another. What our response ought to be towards brothers and sisters in Christ when they will inevitably wrong us. Because though we are saints, until we get to heaven, we are still sinners. And then finally, in verses 10 through 12, Peter tells us the advantage of loving one another. In other words, the benefit that comes when brothers and sisters choose to live together in Christian love. And we'll just look at that first point today in verse 8 of the attitude of loving one another. So, the attitude, the answer, and the advantage of loving the brotherhood for the sake of the gospel. And with that in mind, if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word as I read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us today. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of God whose hand is ready to help all those who have chosen his precepts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you have set before us today. Father, I pray that you would be at work during this time. 
May your spirit accompany the faulty teaching of your word so that your word would be clearly understood, boldly applied, humbly believed and obeyed by your people. Help us to walk out of this room different people than how we walked in, beginning in our attitudes that we have towards every single brother and sister in Christ we have in your family. Humble us, I pray, by the power of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as Peter begins talking about the importance of Christian love in our Christian witness, he starts where all true love begins. He starts in the heart and in the mind, with the emotions and with the will. He begins by describing for us the attitude of loving one another in verse 8, where Peter writes these words. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Notice Peter starts off this section with the word finally. In other words, this is the beginning of Peter bringing his current discussion to an end. And what discussion is that? Well, it's a discussion concerning the type of Christ-like behavior that God uses to draw others to faith in Christ Jesus. And unlike the other sections, which addressed specific types of Christians, right? This is how to act as a citizen or a slave or a spouse. This final section that Peter's about to write addresses all types of believers. We know this because he writes, finally, all of you. All of you. And who is he speaking to? He's speaking to believers, those who have been born again. He's speaking to those in chapter 2, verse 21, who have been called to follow Jesus. He is speaking to those in chapter 2, verse 11, who have become sojourners and exiles in this present world. He's speaking to those in chapter 2, verse 9, who have become a chosen race and a royal priesthood, a holy nation and a people of God's own possession. In short, he is talking to those in chapter 1, verse 23, who have become born again through the living and abiding word of God, which is the gospel that was preached to you. Peter is talking to all believers, all those who have been ransomed and redeemed, as chapter 1, verse 19 says, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter is addressing those of us who have been called to live ready, righteous, and reverent lives before the unsaved so that they might see our good works and give glory to God on the day of visitation. Peter's writing to us. Believers in Jesus Christ who have been called to reach those closest to us with the glory and grace of Jesus Christ Himself. And he says here, all of you, all of you have this attitude. And the attitude that all of us as Christians need to possess and pursue and demonstrate in this world for the sake of the gospel and our verbal witness is love. That is the virtue that's at the center of this entire list. Brotherly love. In fact, everything in verse 8 leads up to and then out of that central call to seek and to show brotherly love. See, this verse is actually in kind of a chiastic structure. We're in a chiastic kick, by the way. Colby mentioned it last Sunday, 
right? It was mentioned in Sunday school this morning, and here it is this morning. There we go. But it's a kind of an achiastic structure where unity of mind parallels a humble mind, where sympathy parallels a tender heart, and where the central call for brotherly love summarizes, describes, and connects all of those different attitudes. And so that's how we're going to examine this attitude of brotherly love this morning, by following these parallels and by seeing how the first two descriptions of brotherly love flow right out of the last two descriptions. There's an interesting connection here. So what does it look like to love one another, right? I mean, how many times have we heard sermons about love one another, right? It's, it's wonderful to hear those messages, and we can say that we ought to love one another all day long, but it is of absolutely no benefit to us at all until we actually know what that love looks like, not just in our external actions, but all the way down into the disposition and intentions of our hearts. What does it truly look like to show love to one another, Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, Peter tells us. It looks like having, he says here, unity of mind, sympathy, tender heart, and a humble mind. That's what brotherly love looks like. So, first, to have an attitude of brotherly love towards one another means to have a unity of mind. Unity of mind. That's homophron in the Greek, and it means literally to have one mind. Now, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to be clones of one another, join the Borga collective and prepare to be assimilated, if you know Star Trek. No. What it means is that we're not to be in conflict with one another. We are to be unified, acting as one. This is what the early church was marked by in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, when they heard the gospel preached, they believed, they were baptized, they were added to the church, and they were devoted to each other. They experienced Acts chapter 4, verse 32, where we read, those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and they had everything in common. This is what Paul commands us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, let there be no divisions, let there be no discords among you but that you may be united with the same mind and the same judgment, the same way of looking and thinking about things. Though it is true that all of us as believers will have very different tastes, very different gifts, very different personalities and habits to the glory of God, we are nevertheless all to have the same mindset, the same thoughts, we're to have the same priorities, the same attitudes, and the same outlook, I guess you could say, on life. It's like with the flotilla or the fleet of boats that I saw when I was flying into Los Angeles this past spring. Not all the boats were the same. Some were big, some were small, some were fast, some were slow, some were, but all of them were in a multitude of colors, and and, and, and though each boat was unique, and each boat was different from each other, they were nevertheless headed in the exact same direction. They were all in agreement, you could put it this way, about the most important things. And they were all careful to respect and to not run into each other on the way there. That is the way it is to be for us who are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Fellow pilgrims on the way to glory. Though we may look and though we may be different from one another in a lot of different ways, we are all to be in unity and agreement with one another about the most essential things like biblical doctrine, biblical practice, biblical living, and to do our best to respect each other on the way there. We're all to have a unity of mind. 
Which brings us to our first parallel, because the only way that we as believers will demonstrate that type of attitude, the only way that we can show unity of mind amidst diversity towards each other, like this, is if we first have a humble mind. A humble mind. That's tapenephron in the Greek, paralleling homophron, which we just looked at. You can hear the parallelism at work in the Greek. And it means to be lowly. It means to be modest and humble in your attitude, your outlook, and your demeanor. It's to have the mindset, let me put it this way, of putting yourself under. And that is the only way that believers can live together in unity and demonstrate brotherly love. It is only by having a mindset, a humble mind, a mindset of putting yourself under, that we can have a unity of mind. So you ask, okay, if we're supposed to have a unity of mind, and it can only happen by having a humble mind, by putting ourselves under, then in order to achieve loving unity, who are we to be humble and submissive towards? What are we to put ourselves under? Well, the answer is God first and each other second. God first and each other second. First, in order to demonstrate brotherly love through unity, we must have a humble mind towards God, towards God and His Word. This is so critical to understand. Christian love and unity can only exist where there is a mindset of humility and submission to the truth. As Peter already taught back in chapter 1, verse 22, our souls become purified for a sincere brotherly love. How? By our obedience to the truth. And the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, 11, that they, believers, may be one even as we are one, that's answered later on in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Christian love and unity can only exist where there is a humble submission to God's Word. In other words, the fleet has to all be headed in the same direction. It's like with a choir. Though there are many different types of singers and many different types of notes to be sung, all of those sinners and all of those singers, excuse me, and sinners, all of those singers, those sinful singers, all of them and those notes are all ideally to be submitted to the same musical score and working together to create harmony as a choir. Unless the sopranos want to go off and do whatever they want to do, right? That's how Christian unity in the local church is to work. Though there are many different types of Christians and many different types of ministries and many different types of service to be done, All of those Christians and all of those ministries are all ideally to be submitted to the same truth and working together to create a harmoniously clear message. This is exactly what Paul teaches over in Romans 15, 5-6 when he says that all of us as members are to live in such harmony, musical term, harmony with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus, we're all tuned to Him, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we are to do as a church body. We're not to be a bunch of soloists determining to do whatever is right in our own minds. We're to be choir members who gather together and are given by God the same musical score to follow. And in order to develop harmony and unity, we've got to submit to that score. We've got to submit to the truth. And we've got to work together in order to glorify with one voice the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To borrow the imagery of shepherding. I've got so many images, right? Fleet, choir, now sheep. 
right? To borrow the imagery of shepherding, the only way that all of our minds can run in the same direction is if all of our minds are being directed by the rod and staff of God's Word. So, in order to demonstrate brotherly love through unity, we must first have a humble mind of putting ourselves under God and His Word. Second, we must have a humble mind towards each other. We must have a humble mind not only towards God, but towards each other. A mindset of putting ourselves under. This is the very attitude that was encouraged in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2-4, through where Paul writes these words. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In other words, have unity. Be of one mind, right? Well, how? Through humility. He says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility always count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, Christian love and unity can only exist where there is a mindset of humble submission to one another, of cooperation, not control. A sheep of fleet, even a ship in the fleet, even if he's headed in the same direction as the rest of the boats with him, he still needs to consider the rest of the boats move as one with them and not just blindly sail full speed ahead, running into other boats and insisting on whatever he wants. That's disaster. No, we are to have a humble mind, a mind whose greatest concern and greatest commitment is to do what is eternally best for those who are around us. It's to care about others far more than we care about ourselves and to seek to cooperate far more than to control. Why? Because we're never going to be able to demonstrate loving unity as Christ calls us to without humility. As Paul teaches in Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. How? Don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. Be humble. So that's how you have harmony, through humility. That's how you have loving unity of mind. It is by having a humble mind. Of putting yourselves under, under God's word and under the interests of others. So what does an attitude of brotherly love look like? It looks like having a humble mind that is seeking to maintain a unity of mind. That's what brotherly love looks like. Moving on to our second parallel description of brotherly love. Brotherly love also looks like having sympathy. Having sympathy. So here we've moved from the mind into the heart. Sympathy. That word literally means to feel with. It means to feel what another person is feeling. We live in a world that completely lacks this virtue. Even if you disagree with someone, you should still be able to enter into their feelings. It's the virtue that is described in Romans 12 verse 15 where Paul tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. That is sympathy. That's sympathy. It's to feel what the other person is feeling so deeply that you are moved to action. And that's what we as Christians are to be marked by, not just a feeling of softness towards each other, but a sympathy that leads to action. As John writes in 1 John 3, 17-18, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. So when we see fellow believers who are struggling in sin, or struggling with sorrow, or struggling with a need, 
We should not shut ourselves off from them callously. We should be sensitive towards that. So sensitive towards their needs, anxieties, and concerns that we love them by showing them sympathy in action. Well, that's, that sympathy of action is only going to happen if we as believers first have, what? A tender heart. I think this is where the battle for sympathy is often lost. For rather than making sure that we maintain a tender heart towards one another, when we start dealing with wrongs that are done against us, we start harboring the root of bitterness and malice and slander and everything mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. We don't protect a tender heart. And here, here, Peter reminds us that we must maintain a tender heart towards each other. Literally in the Greek, that means a generous belly. Yeah, see, I knew, I knew someone was going to think that. So this is Peter not making a value statement about having a large waistband, lest you be confused. He is making a value statement here about having appropriate feelings and emotions. And we understand this. See, in the ancient world, the belly was the center for one's feelings and emotions. And we still kind of talk this way, right? You know when you feel something deeply, you feel it in your gut, right? Or, in fact, we say things like this, my heart aches, or I feel sick to my stomach. That's the picture here. Peter is saying we are to be generous in our, in our tender emotions. We are to love one another by allowing ourselves to be deeply affected and touched by the needs, pains, and burdens of others. Christians are not to be stoics. To arrive at Christian maturity does not mean to arrive at being devoid of emotion. If we are to be people of love, if we are to be people of Christ, then we must have tender hearts that are full of empathy, hearts that are deeply and viscerally affected by the state of others around us. Because the moment we stopped feeling is the moment we have stopped caring. It's the moment we've stopped loving. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, keep on being kind to one another and continually tender-hearted. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so, if we are to love the brotherhood and show sympathy to one another, then that means we must have a tender heart. So this is the attitude of loving one another. This is what it actually looks like when we say love one another. It looks like having a humble mind that's striving towards a unity of mind. It looks like having a tender heart that seeks to show sympathy in action. This is what it means to love one another. It, it's talking about a disposition of your mind and your heart. It all starts there. And when we demonstrate this attitude of humble and compassionate love towards one another, we show the world that we are Christ's disciples. You want to know why? Because absolutely everything that I have just described to you is a description of Jesus. Christ is the one who embodies this love. And we're simply called here to walk in his steps, exhibit his life, and demonstrate his power. Think about it. Where is this humble mind? This humble mind that puts others' interests above your own and doesn't insist on your own way, where is that most clearly seen? That is seen in Christ. He's our example. 
Philippians 2.5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What mind is that? It's a humble mind where you count others more significant than yourself. Christ was enthroned in glory, in perfect righteousness, and in humility. He considered us and came to this earth. He was tested. He was tried. He took upon himself our guilt, our wrath, so that we might be saved. This humility that you're being called on is simply the humility that Christ has shown to you. And you're going to insist on your own way when Christ abandoned the glories of heaven for you? Brothers and sisters, we must have a humble, humble mind. Because when we demonstrate loving humility to one another, we are simply reflecting Jesus as the humble one. As he himself said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take your yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Christ is the perfect example of showing brotherly love through, through humility. We need to follow in his steps. We should pursue and possess a humble mind which leads to a unity of mind as we're all headed in the same direction with respect towards one another. The very mind of Christ. And second, think about this. Also, where is the second parallel description most clearly seen? This tender heart that is moved in sympathy towards others. That is seen in Christ as well, is it not? Here, as in all areas of life, Jesus is always our example. In Matthew 9, 35 Through 36, we read that when Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. And so what did he do? He went throughout all their towns and villages, teaching and preaching and healing. And sometimes he did it to the point where he didn't eat and he didn't sleep because he felt, he felt, he felt what they were feeling. He had a tender heart that moved him in sympathy. Or again in John 11.35, Jesus stands outside the tomb of his dead friend Lazarus, and what does he do? Jesus wept. Jesus was so tenderhearted, it says that he was moved in his spirit. He was moved so deeply towards generosity and action that he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is the perfect example of showing brotherly love through tenderness and sympathy, and we must follow in his steps. We should pursue and possess a tender heart leading to a sympathy of action, the very heart of Christ. And so this is how we show the world that we are Christ's disciples. This is how we show the world the very mind and heart and love of Jesus. It's by pursuing and possessing a humble mind and a tender heart leading to a unity of mind and a sympathy in life. So in closing, I just want to help us examine ourselves by looking at the photo negatives of this brotherly love attitude through these two questions. First, How often do you find yourselves at odds with other believers and not enjoying that unity of mind? Could it be that it's because you're lacking humility and insisting on doing things your way? Are you sailing like you're the only ship in the fleet? The only ship that matters? Maybe you need to take a few moments this morning during our closing to confess to the Lord 
and to ask Him to give you a humble mind, the mind of Christ, because only He can give it. And then second, how often do you find yourself distant and unmoved by the joys and sorrows of others? Romans 12.15 says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When is the last time that you've genuinely shed tears over someone else's sorrows? Seriously, I want you to think about that. When is the last time that you have genuinely shed tears over what someone else is going through in their life? Or are you so wrapped up in your own life? And then second question, when's the last time you genuinely were excited over someone else's joy? When's the last time you were genuinely excited over someone else's joy? Do you have a tender heart? Well, you don't understand. I'm just not very emotional. You need to be. You need to be generous in your tender emotions so that you can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So that you can love one another just as God in Christ has loved us. If that's not you, if you sit there and say, wow, I've I've got some growth to do in this regard, (laughs) uh, then I would encourage you over these next few minutes, why don't you confess that to God and ask Him over these next few moments to make you compassionate enough to cry and humble enough to rejoice because we're commanded to do so. God, help me to love others as you have loved me with a humble mind and a tender heart because this is the attitude of loving one another. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is the Word of God from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, which I now commit to your further study, your faithful obedience, in the fervent care of one another, and in your own personal confession, until He who is working in us comes to return for his own. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Father, how it is a sharp, two-edged sword piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and is a discerner of the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Father, I thank you for Peter's letter, how he has been reminding us all along the way that our Christian life cannot be separated from this task of evangelism. And this task of evangelism cannot be separated from our everyday lives. And this everyday life cannot be separated from our hearts and our minds. So Father, I pray that you would do more than to change our actions this week to be able to show love towards one another. I pray that you would do the work that only you can do that you would change our minds and hearts to be more like Christ Jesus so that those who are around us, who are closest to us, even our fellow members here, 
might see the very love of Jesus Christ. And may you use this love that you develop in your family here at Grace Chapel to be be the cause of someone to ask a reason for the hope that is in us and the love that is among us. And we can give them the answer. It's Jesus living in me. Thank you for the gift of Christ's love. Help us to reflect it this week with humble minds and tender hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.